This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. How's your week been, Kate? Yeah, it's been good. I've, well, I've been getting over my stinking cold, but that's almost gone. You've not been to the pub yet then, like so many no, people. I haven't. My husband's away, so I'm waiting for him to come back and then we may indulge. But also, I don't kind of want to go with the crowd, so I thought I'll wait for the madness yeah. of the pub and the shops. Yeah. What about you? Have you been shopping? Well, I did pop in somewhere yesterday to get a bin. And it was quite liberating just to know I could just pop into that particular shop and buy a bin rather than having to source it online. Not the most exciting purchase, um, but I have been making some plans. We are going um, out for a, a few bites in the coming weeks and, you know, things like booking Sunday lunch and a few things that are quite nice, nice. to make happen. Yes. But yeah, I've been like walking around the very full outdoor areas and people shivering whilst they're <laughs> having exactly. a meal. And I was looking yeah. at some really unhappy kids last night. I was coming back from my son's swimming lesson. It was about six o'clock and there were some really freezing kids outside at this pizza restaurant near me where they've really gone to town with all the tables and chairs. And I was saying to to my son, yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait till it's a bit warmer, don't you think? Yeah, I have to say, it does not appeal to me to sit and freeze (laughs) while I'm eating my lunch or my my dinner, I have to say. The other thing that I've been doing, which is really exciting, is I've been potting up my dahlias. I'm a big fan of dahlias and I want to give a massive shout out to a lady called Andy on, she's Dahlia Beach on Instagram and she has got the most beautiful dahlias and I bought the Fiji collection from her and they've arrived, I potted them up ready to go into the ground in May, Ooh. hopefully. But um, I love yeah, check, check out Dahlia Beach. Well, my neighbour has gone away and he's let me use his greenhouse, which I might have mentioned. It's a total mess, but I've got my little seeds growing. My sunflowers are growing. So uh, the Gardener's World side of the Fertility Podcast will continue <laughs> as we keep you updated. But I tell you, it, it's been a little bit of kind of salvation for me, I think, because as mm. you'll know, and thank you for those of you that have, have kind of commented on what I shared um in in our episode last week about um sadly my cousin dying and it and it has kind of taken hold and Kate and I have been chatting mm. and I have to say Kate you you're being amazing as as a friend oh, just um when we come to do our little bits of recording and I'm a bit like ah, deep breath mm. but it's it's also been lovely hearing from you guys and I really appreciate the support and I think it shows the power of of talking doesn't it and it does. and helping each other through difficult times yeah yeah so important to talk and talking of the times. Ah, nice segue there. <laughs> My Little Piece by the lovely friend of the podcast, Sophia Money Coots, who um, very kindly interviewed me talking about the COVID vaccine and fertility. And it was an interesting piece. I put it on my stories. Kate's put it on her grid. You use the word gobsmacked in it. <laughs> in light I of... kind of regret that a bit. Why? <laughs> it's, not very, it's not very intelligent, is it, for the time, saying I, gobsmacked? I think it's a really onomatopoeic word. It really like packs a punch in terms of how you feel. And you were mm. highlighting the, the kind of response and the conversations. I see them too in the closed Facebook group for the fertility podcast that people have about their fears about the vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I can honestly say I have been gobsmacked with some of the comments and I'm seeing them either through some of my patients in my clinic, but also 
I'm seeing them at the vaccination centre where I'm volunteering. And it's it's really worrying because these fears are so unfounded. There's so much misinformation. And I just really hope that people start reading the facts rather than listening to what other people who are misinformed are saying on social media. And don't forget, if you've got any questions, you know, you can ask Kate um, because she's literally on the ground giving the vaccine and, and talking about this all the time. If there are concerns about your safety for having them, um, we really want to highlight that it's much better if you have the vaccine than to get COVID. Completely, because you, once you're pregnant, you are so much more vulnerable. So it is so much better to get the vaccine now. And obviously, if you've got any coexisting conditions it makes you vulnerable right now anyway yeah. so you know and even then we, we know very clearly that people that don't have any coexisting conditions still end up being vulnerable so best to be safe now we wanted to just do a recap about what we've talked about on the podcast since we relaunched in february because what we're kind of hoping to do is to give you in essence a pre-diagnosis checklist and there is a lot to think about when you're trying to get pregnant and it's not happening in the time frame that you might have had in mind. We've been talking about the things to think about when it comes to conversations with your GP. And if this is your first listen, do go and, and have a listen back to some of the earlier episodes. We talked about understanding your cycle and, and charting it. We've talked about foods to eat and, and also like the initial test that you can be thinking about that you can actually do at home if you're not ready to go to your doctor. And Kate, can you just explain a bit about those tests and what they can tell you? Because we've, we've talked about them from the male and the female perspective. Yeah, so there's there's various tests that you can, can do at home that is going to give you some information and empower you really probably a little bit quicker on your fertility journey. So it might be something that you want to do, especially if you're still struggling to get in to see your GP at the moment. I think that's really important. So you can you can do some blood tests online. So fertility health we spoke to, but we've also in the past spoken to MediChecks. Um, so those are really great places that you can go to look at your fertility health, order some blood tests, and they can help you just to see if everything is kind of okay. And if it's not, then that's great information then to take to your doctor and say, right, this is what I'm finding. What do we need to do next? And the same with men as well. I, I see sometimes in my clinic a reluctance for men to have a sperm test, to go and see their GP for a sperm test. And perhaps the easiest entry into that is to do a home sperm test. And again, we've had conversations with Exceed over recent months who do a fabulous home sperm test. It's important to note that doing a home sperm test looks at two of the three parameters, but it's definitely a starting point. And then if you've got any concerns, Again, you can take that to your GP and say, this is what I found. Can we do more testing? I think either way, eventually, it's important to get the NHS sperm test done. But it's a great starting point. Because what we've talked about so far has been kind of covering issues and symptoms and conditions that women might have. We've talked about polycystic ovary syndrome. We've talked about endometriosis. And what we're really, really keen to focus on in this episode, and it's something that we've been doing on the Fertility Podcast since it started, is the fact that infertility is actually a 50-50 issue and male infertility is is still not understood enough. It's not talked about enough. It's something that I have personal experience with as it was our diagnosis. And from the start of this podcast have been encouraging the conversation. We've got a whole host of brilliant fertility experts that we've spoken to in the past and we'll put links in the show notes. And if you're thinking or you've already found out that male infertility is what might be going on with you, please, please do go and have a listen to more of the conversations that we've already had. Because we're constantly having the same chat, aren't we, Kate? That it's just still not understood enough. Men are overlooked. Often they're not even looked at 
when they're having mm. these these chats. And that impact from a mental health point of view is is ginormous, isn't it? Yeah, completely. It's the amount of time that I hear men saying that they just felt completely out of the loop when it came to any discussions around fertility. And actually, I see men being quite mute, even in my conversations. And when I see women, I see women on on video. And sometimes, it's quite interesting, sometimes the man will be there and completely engaged. Often not, though, it's just the woman. Occasionally, a man, I'll be aware that the husband is in the background somewhere, perhaps off camera. And initially, he really doesn't want to get involved but I kind of say hi and kind of get him involved and get him chatting. And eventually I see him kind of creeping around to the front of the camera and actually then really engaging. So it's, again, reaching out and making men feel and get engaged and, and part of this fertility journey rather than being sidelined to shocking. Exactly. And like I say, we've talked about this on the podcast before, so there'll be links in the show notes. In today's episode, we're going to be hearing the story of Kev Button who's been dealing with his own infertility for about eight years, but he's only recently started to talk about it publicly. And so you'll get to hear him explaining why he hid it for so long and what he's doing now. But Kate, can you also just talk about some of the issues that can affect male fertility? For example, a varicocere is something that we know is a, an issue that is is often overlooked and can play mm. quite a big part, but it also can be corrected in mm. most cases, by surgery, can't it? Mm, it can. So I think there are, it's important to notice that, say that there are many, many issues that affect male fertility, yeah. and some we just don't don't know, don't don't understand. Um, a varicocele is quite common. Um, a varicocele men explain it that it feels like a bag of worms in their testicle. So it'd be in one testicle, um, and it basically the way I explain it is a little bit like varicose veins, but in, rather than the legs in the testicle. So you've got that kind of protrusion of, of veins, which is why it feels a little bit like a um, bag of worms. Uh, <laughs> your face, image. your face is classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's obviously not great. It may be accompanied with some pain. It may not. Um, and But we do know that it really can impact on good quality sperm development. And you can have a varicocele repair. It's not done a huge amount, unfortunately, in the UK. But research does show that once you have a varicose repair, it can considerably improve sperm health so that men and women can then go on to have a normal pregnancy without fertility investigations and treatment. I think, as you know, I'm always kind of talking about it. I think in the UK, we're very, very quick to push women into um, IVF, particularly when it's a male fertility factor. And we don't look at male fertility. We ignore it. We don't find the root cause of it. Um, and I know when we were chatting with um, our resident expert, Dr. James from the Lister, he was talking about how at the Lister, they work really closely with urology. And that's so important. And actually, it's so unusual for a clinic to do that. So, you know, massive kudos to the, the Lister for doing that, because it is an issue that needs to be done more. Now, other factors are lifestyle factors and environmental factors, things like yeah. smoking, drinking, exercise, different elements yeah. of your diet, which we have talked about in previous episodes. Kev, our guest, talks about it. There's all changes that you can make to improve sperm health. Because what's the time frame? Is it 90 days to produce new sperm? Yes, that's right. Yes. So anyth anything that you do. So, for example, for men, smoking is absolutely the worst thing that they can do. 
to their sperm. But if they stop, they can make improvements in those 90 days. Same with um, taking uh, illegal drugs. Same with a huge amount of alcohol impact. A small amount of alcohol for men generally doesn't seem to be an issue, but it's when they're binge drinking that can knock sperm off the rest of those the following three months. So yeah, it's that 90 days. 90 days for good sperm health, 90 days for good egg health. And it's also really important to know that protein shakes and certain bodybuilding supplementation is a real no-no in terms of sperm health. And again, it's something that we've talked about on the podcast. And I will put a link to that conversation uh, with the different male fertility specialists, because I don't want to bombard you with too many things to think about. But it's just worth thinking about at this stage, if you're trying and it's still not working and you're in a heterosexual relationship, or if you're in a same-sex couple, if, if you're a gay man and you're listening to this and you're wanting to know the quality of your sperm and what you need to be thinking about, these are mm. all really relevant things. Nobody should assume that they're they're fine if you're not getting pregnant ultimately, or if you're going to have to go down the donor route, you want everything to be in top working order, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we hear from Kev, we're really pleased to once again have PharmaSure sponsoring this episode of the Fertility Podcast because their male supplement, Impril, enables your body to maintain its natural metabolic balance and so ensures the very best chance of pregnancy. What's great is that it works by providing the right balance of nutrients that are designed to improve the fertilization capability of sperm. And you can find out more at fertilityfamily.co.uk. And of course, we'll put that link in the show notes. So next up, we're going to be hearing from Kevin Button. Kev is the man cave on social media. Again, the links will be in the show notes. And we had a few technical hiccups when we were trying to um, to speak to Kev. First of all, we had to reschedule quite a few times. Then when we finally got to speak to him, we couldn't hear him properly. And we had to move it from how we normally record it onto Zoom. And then Kate couldn't get into Zoom and time was running out. So you're just hearing me chat. I think you got that. You got in about 15 minutes into the chat, didn't you? Yeah, I only came in at the very end. But because I missed it, I'm going to have a listen now and we can chat more about it in a minute. So it was a pretty lengthy time that you had to conceive, but you've only just recently started to talk about it. And, and I'm really keen to know what made you start to talk about it. Yeah, when I, a few years back, I'll say a few years back, three years ago, sorry, um, it'd be many weekends, I'd be in the house and I was going to set up the Man Cave, a social media site and a website, spreading awareness about mental health and male infertility. And many weekends I'd sit on the settee and I'd have a few beers and I'd go, oh no, I can't do it. And then I did do it. And I lost I lost my cousin, I did the suicide, nothing to do with fertility. And I just thought life's too short. He was such a young guy and I thought, right, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. So... It was, it was just stemmed from that, basically. And it, it was just like a weight off my shoulders. Why was I worried about what people would think and this and that? And um, I, I wish I'd done it sooner. And um, it's, it's, it's more support out there now compared to a few years ago. And it's just so great to see you, Natalie. Yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, you're talking that you've been struggling for eight years. My son is, he's just turned six. So we were diagnosed seven years ago with male factor. And probably like you, we were looking online and, and found nothing. And, and I know my other half found it so frustrating. And I was like, no, we must be able to get answers. Why can't we get answers? And people, we were, we were told it's male factor. You need ICSI. There you go. You're eligible. We were, I was 36, which is why we were eligible. I know it's a much more straightforward kind of diagnosis than, than perhaps, you know, you've experienced, but still when we were like, but why is this? My husband was fit and healthy. He was a health, he was a personal trainer and a health coach. So when you were asking the questions, where were you try where were you looking? Was it mainly online or were you asking did you feel you could yeah. ask the kind of medical professionals as well? 
Yeah, it was mainly online, to be honest. Like We've had two failed attempts on the NHS, IVF and ICSI, and even beforehand, and me personally going going through my diagnosis, I, I basically like majority of people Google it and it was it was nothing there to be honest. And I think over the last two years I've lot I've learned a lot more being on Instagram, on the community on there from doctors, uh people like yourself, podcasts and other other things. And it's it's, it's such you seek comfort and you're in other people's stories as well. And yeah. this is this is what I I do enjoy it in a sense. It's, it's nice to listen, listen to other people's stories. Yeah. Well, you can relate and you feel yeah. less alone, don't you? Yeah, 100%. So just explain what it is that you've been diagnosed with. Uh, non-obstructive azospermia is basically, or the name term is, satili cell only uh, syndrome. Basically, there's no, no cells there basically producing any sperm. And uh, I think it's really rare because I think there's only one person I've, I've spoken speaking spoken to over the last two years and he was he was over in america so it's pretty i don't know if it's pretty rare i think and so in terms of what that means for treatment is do you have to have like is it a micro to to be yeah, able to yeah. Have treatment yeah but basically at, basically at the start we i had two sperm samples and they were low counts um and then we had the the option and go for an operation micro tease op and um i was unsuccessful there and then I remember going into the clinic and basically in a two minutes and having that information of right, there's either sperm donor, sperm donor or adoption and use the door, Kev. And it was wow. so breaking and upsetting. And that's what drives me now that I know there's men going on a daily basis, going in these clinics, having that same information and then having no support. And that's that's what drives me now, to be honest. And and you talked about how when you were you were younger. It was affecting your confidence when you were going out dating, and you were you were kind of self sabotaging quite a lot, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was upsetting. Like I said, when I got when I got diagnosed uh, after after a couple of months down the line, I'd go on dates, and because my relationship broke down due due to this, to be honest, I, I I lost my flat as well. I got made redundant. I was in a bad place, and I was trying to meet other people then later down the line. And then as soon as the topic of children came up, I'd um, basically blow the woman out. I'd, I'd message her a day or two later, say, look, it's, it's not for me. But that wasn't the case. It was the fact that I was going through this process and I had no support. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a tough old journey. Now, you, um, you have um, been part of uh, Fertility Network's kind of male support. And I want to talk a bit about what's kind of gone on recently because we're talking after the brilliant Rod Gilbert um, documentary. And I want to talk a bit about what you thought about it because I, I saw some of the stuff you were putting on your socials and, and I think you got some negative comments, didn't you? Yeah, there was, uh, I'd done the Wales online, I'd done a post where I'm from and uh, there was a lot of people supporting me and there's a lot of people, uh, some negative and you always get negative stuff. But uh, I, I'm confident now and more mature and I had to laugh at it. To be honest, it drives me more. They were just, the negative comments were basically like, well, that's not the end of the road. There's more things happening, COVID, people dying out. But that wasn't the case. It was about me spreading awareness on my journey and what I've been doing with the man cave, trying to help other guys and, and women in the process, to be honest, couples. And um, yeah, in regards to the Rod Gilbert documentary, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was uh I've been after someone in the public eye just to stand up and make a difference. And especially Rod, it's just great to see I've listened to a couple of his radio interviews. And uh, he's in there for the long haul. It's not just a one-off. He's 
He's jumped on the, the support groups now with, with um, Fertility Network, which, um, which I'm an ambassador of, which is um, amazing. And um, yeah, it's great to see he's in it for the long haul. I think it's so important. And one thing that I, we've talked about it a little bit on the, on the podcast um, already, but I was so kind of touched by the fact that he was so uncomfortable about it and he really like let that show the discomfort. And I think like, I, my husband didn't watch it with me at the time and I kind of hope he does because that discomfort, I think, and that shame and the pride element around it, I think is such a huge thing. I mean, I'm obviously not able to, to talk as a man, but from what I've experienced with my husband, he just didn't want to talk about it. Just didn't want to have to. Is that something that you've heard more in the support group that men just, obviously they're getting more confident talking about it in that environment, but generally they just don't want to have to. It's like so unfair. Why should they? It's not right. Like why me? Yeah. There's that stigma attached to it, you know, the, the masculine thing and men shouldn't speak up, but that's not the case. These men, they, these men speak up in these support groups and amazing, but we, I don't know what it is. We struggle to speak to to our partners, and um, I remember when we started on our journey on the first sixty, we we were offered counselling, and um, counselling is amazing. I recommend it to anyone, but for us, it weren't. It, it we it didn't work for us, and it was kind of weird that we wanted it on our own. If I made any sense, I'd rather a one on one, and as our thing, like it's, I don't know why, but but now we talk, we're better now, and we go on our fertility next, and if we get offered counselling next time, we will take it up, but. Um, yeah, it's just having that simple conversation, like because there was a part at the end of um, Rod's documentary, there was that like small group, and and he was even saying there were people that at the start weren't willing to talk, and at the end he saw a real shift. And and I've talked with all sorts of people. I've talked with Gareth Downs in the past, Richard Clottier. Um, I was talking with Ian Stones, who obviously is involved with with you yeah. in the support group, and and I was involved in the easy bit with with Tom Webb. And th- the whole conversation has always been that once men are in that safe space. And they're not really necessarily having to worry about their partner or saying the right thing that they feel that they finally can actually open up. And you were saying about wanting to do it on your own. Do you think that that's maybe a, a, a message to to really say to guys that don't? Because because often it's the, the woman that's driving a lot of this and 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 investigating and doing all yeah, the diet yeah. stuff and 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 men are treated differently in the whole setting as as I'm sure you sadly have probably yeah. experienced so knowing that there's this safe space that you can be in and just say whatever is that part of what you want men to know yeah it's, yeah it's going to take time and is that like I said before is a simple conversation and um I, I do have women reach out to me and Alan saying uh my partner would speak to me what can I do and this and that and they got to kind of deal with it in their own time. Like it's taken me eight years. Like yeah. it, sh- it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be like that. And this is what drives me, men. As soon as they have a diagnosis, they should reach out to people straight away. Done, done, bought it up. And yeah, there's um, and touch on the easy bit. Amazing. I remember watching it on my own and with my partner and cried my eyes out twice. And uh, it's so rewarding watching it. And I'm a big fan of it. And I've been trying to get it out there for other people. And I think that's a big thing. People need to watch uh, even even as a couple as well. It, it's massively so well done for being part of it. I didn't know you were part of it, so well done as well. I was the voiceover in it. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, I know Tom and I, I've been kind of following what he was doing from the start. And I just, you know, with the podcast, I've always wanted to be as much of a voice as I can be for Male Factor because it's my experience and I can see how much of an impact it's had on my other half. You know, we've had... As I said to you before, we've had a child. We're not having any more children. And, you know, that whole piece is still huge in our world, what yeah. that means. And we're reminded about it over and over again. And ultimately, I know in my other half's darkest moments that he still struggles 
with that. And, you know, we're both yeah. trying to do all we can as parents and, and it's so complicated. And, and my other half sought support a year ago and, you know, our son's sick. So like you're saying, it's taken a long time to feel confident enough. And what would you say, what would your advice be to any men listening or anyone who's maybe dealing with male factor and hopes that they can maybe get them their other half to, to, to look or listen to something? Um, first of all, uh, if I find the easy bit was groundbreaking and I, I really reckon they should have it in schools or something like that because it could be massively supportive for guys, not just guys, women as well. Yeah, just having that conversation again, uh, I tell guys and women, get, jump over on Instagram because Instagram is massive, try and conceive community and um, it's so helpful. And you can be anonymous. I, I, did, I, I didn't start off anonymous, I don't think. I had a photo of the man cave. But uh, I was I talk about the the bad days and the good days, and I think that's very important. Keep it real as possible because you are you, not every day is going to be good. Yeah. And um, listening to podcasts, exercising, is nutrition is a lot. It didn't really benefit me because I because of my diagnosis. There's a lot of men out there, especially young men, that don't know about um, the use of steroids, STIs, um, nutrition. Uh, like saunas, for instance, steam rooms, little things like this, laptop on the lap, just keeping keeping that area cool. And yeah, ed- education is going to be key moving forward, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm just going to let Kate in quick. Good so. time, Kate. Where will be? <laughs> <laughs> At least we can hear you properly now, Kev. I was just intrigued when I read on your website about Nikki and how you initially kind of just said to her, I, I just want to be friends. And then you were a few weeks later, you were honest. And I thought that was really interesting that you didn't, you felt that you didn't want to say straight off, this is my situation, but you just kind of played yeah. it, just yeah. be friends to protect yeah. yourself. I'd just gone over and out, but when I got diagnosed, I was in a bad place and that uh, later on and I'd go on dates and I'd meet the girl and we, as soon as the topic of children would be brought up, I'd kind of blow the woman out the next day or two and I'd message and say, look, it's, it's not for me. But that wasn't the case. It was because what I was dealing with and going through. And then Nikki came along and the same happened there. We went on a date. Everything was fine. I knew I wanted to be with her, but that topic of children came up. And a couple of days later, blew it out as I did with the other people. And a month later, I thought, right, enough. I don't know what that turning point was, to be honest. I think enough was enough. I thought I'd reach out to her and the rest is history. I'm sure Nikki will say that the turning point was actually that she was too good to let go. That's the the difference (laughs) with that one. At the time, there was no support out there and it's it's getting a little bit better, but we're way off where I want to be anyway, to be honest. Women like yourself are speaking up about it and even though we're going on journeys and being on the journeys, you're still talking about it. This is just a credit to people who are doing that. And I like that because I see a lot of people on Instagram uh, as soon as they have their children or whatever, they after they go, that's it. But there's a lot mm-hmm. of people like the Male Infertility Podcast, Nick Denton, I don't know if you know him. Yeah. He's the same as well. He just had a child, sperm donor, and the, he's, he's still passionate about what he's doing. It's, it's so great to see. And that's what, it, that's what we need in the community to, exactly. to break the stigma. Absolutely. So is that your next route, Kev? Is it using a donor? Yeah, donor. Yeah, we went used to the donor last two times, but... The next one now, we were supposed to go to California. I won a competition. I don't know if you've uh, seen it on my Instagram. To go no, to Cal- Yeah, I won three. I won, it was a competition, California IVF. They were giving away five cycles. And lucky enough, I was one of the five. And um, wow. we've been put on hold due to, due to COVID. Damn it. We, we were supposed to go a year and a half ago, I think it was. And it's all up in the air at the minute. Is is money as well. We've got to pay for the flights and apartments. But um, it's pretty amazing. I posted last night as well. That's the same company, California IVF. They're giving away another five free cycles. Okay. 
which is amazing. I've told people get on it because when it happened last year, two years ago, sorry, no one was going for it. And I thought California is too far to travel. I thought we've got nothing to lose. And I, I went for it and we won it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Fair play. Oh, well, definitely keep us posted. I, I just mm-hmm. want to ask you before we let you go, that process of choosing a donor, how how you felt about that? Tough. It, it was tough. It was, it was a long process to, to deal with. And um, yeah, I accepted it. Same again, Instagram, you're in other people's stories, other men's stories, other women's stories, using sperm donors. And I thought you were going to bring our child up. You were going to be the dad and nothing else matters. Yeah, totally. So final word, Kev, for anyone listening. We mentioned the easy bit. I'm going to put links to the easy bit. I'll put links to Nick's podcast. And what about the T-shirts? What's going on with them? Um, I've stopped them at the minute. I was doing a, a dance, oh, the Free Peaks Challenge last year, and I just I just uh, made up T-shirts to raise money for the Fertility Network charity. Well done. You got some celebs wearing them, didn't you? You did a good job. Yeah, I had a few people. I had Alex Reed, Rian Sagden. I, yeah, yeah. A number number of people doing it just to spread awareness and get the word yeah. out there, basically. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Well done. Thank you very much. Well, look, keep us posted on when you go in to California. I hope you make a bit of a road trip out of it. Will do. And thanks for all you do, Kev. And I'm really glad we got to speak finally, despite the tech gremlins trying to <laughs> trying to get on. everything. Oh, that was just so great to hear him chat about everything that he's been through um, and the battle to get to where he is now and having to now wait to get over to have his treatment, which must be really tricky. But he's doing so much, isn't he? Tell us about the male fertility support group and what you think about all of that. I just think it's brilliant. And I've watched it grow. I've, I heard, I, and again, it's something I talked about a good few years ago when it was first set up and there was like a couple of hundred people. And now I think there's a couple of thousand. Wow. And but don't let that intimidate you numbers wise, because obviously, you know, you can go into somewhere like that. It's a safe space for men only, but you can take as much as you want. Um, and I know from different conversations I've had, some men just watch, you know, they don't actually comment. But as Kev has said, it's been, you know, such a, a huge help. And he talked about Rod Gilbert um, and Rod's now involved with the whole kind of male fertility support that Fertility Network are running. And we both watched the documentary and we saw, we witnessed the men in that little support group and, and we saw the relief once they'd felt they could open up. Didn't we? We really, we really did. And actually it was, when you say we witnessed it, we saw it at the beginning when they were all sat there kind of a little bit unsure what to say, not really wanting to speak. And then it was like the floodgates opened and they were all chatting, maybe a beer down perhaps, but they were all chatting. And uh, it was really good to see that, wasn't it? Yeah. I think um, just having that kind of self-confidence to ask for help and knowing that you're not alone will make such a difference. And also we'd reference the Easy Bit documentary. Again, we'll put links in the show notes. Again, a really, really fascinating, informative, useful piece. It's a short film with six men talking about their experiences of male infertility. And I just, I can't recommend it highly enough. So do make sure you check out all the show notes and um, you can always follow us on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. Because that's where you can also ask us questions that we will pass on to Dr. James Nicopoulis. Ask the expert. 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 So the first one we've got here is, my husband was told he has low sperm count and slow mobility. Fertility treatment, stroke investigations was completely stopped due to COVID. I just want your best advice for male fertility issues, how best to boost sperm quality. I think that often sperm factors are looked at in isolation by a general fertility doctor. And it may well be that 
no underlying cause is found if you investigate and there may not be a whole lot we can do about it but we don't know until we try so i think the most important thing is probably getting a referral to a urologist that has got special interest in fertility just to make sure you get a full male mot as it were just to make sure there's nothing underlying that may be improved that may be reversible um, if there isn't then so be it you, you crack on with fertility treatment there are some supplements that are quite important uh, include some factors quite important for sperm production and again getting some good advice on on those sorts of supplements just to try and boost things a little bit is, is a good idea as well my husband was born with bilateral undescended testes his results show a low sperm count and low motility we don't yet know if or what our options are as we're still awaiting our initial appointment. Can you advise on what treatment might be offered and the likelihood of extracting quality sperm? We understand this might be a bit tricky to answer with so few details. I think the first thing is, is some reassurance that it's incredibly common to have sperm-related problems following undescended testes. You know, we know now that somebody who has got undescended testes needs to get them you know, repaired and or brought down within probably the first 18 months of life to minimize impact. I don't think we knew that 20, 30 years ago. And especially with bilateral, how early you do that is key. And a proportion of men have absolutely no sperm in that scenario. So a little bit of a silver lining is that it could have been a little bit worse. But to be honest, as long as there is, you know, one sperm per egg for fertility treatment, there's nothing to suggest that necessarily that success rate should be any worse than anybody else. So as long as, as we've got enough sperm there um, in the ejaculate, it should be fine. So are we talking about a microtesi then with this? No, no, as long as, right. as, long as there is sperm in ejaculate. Clearly, um, a proportion of men who've got bilateral issues with, with testicular descent are going to be azoospermic, have no sperm. And in that scenario, then yes, um, you're looking at a testicular sperm retrieval. And in that scenario, there's probably around a 50% chance of successfully getting sperm. Ask the expert. 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 Thank you as always for listening. Don't forget there's our closed Facebook group, which is the Fertility Podcast. Again, another place you can come and ask questions to James. Kate and I are on Instagram every Thursday at two o'clock for our Brew at Two, where again, we're answering your questions, letting you know what's going on with us, letting you know what's kind of coming up next, just checking in, having a cup of tea when we both manage to actually get a cup of tea to bring to the (laughs) Brew at Two table. Do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. You can rate and review it as well and share it so it helps other people know that this is really worth their time. And we thank you always for letting us know what you think. It's so lovely. And I just want to mention one review that we had recently. Somebody had said that they had been listening to the podcast for three years and they'd been meaning to write the review for three years and how much it had helped them. And then the other day I had someone who said they'd only just found the podcast and they wish they'd found it years earlier. And it just highlights how long this journey could be but also I wanted to remind you that there is information to support you and to remind you that you're not alone and and Kate and I are here too. I spoke to somebody the other day that said that listening to the podcast has got her through lockdown because she's been shielding and just listening to it every morning when she's pottering around has got her through which is incredible isn't it? Exactly thank you for your ear holes and until the next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.